All right. Good morning and welcome to our weekly Bible prophecy update. We're so glad that you're joining with us online. Uh, also, we would encourage you to, at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time, also join with us for the live stream. This is our Sunday morning sermon and second service. We're uh, in First Timothy for a verse-by-verse -verse study through that epistle. And I want to uh, mention it because um, we're going to be talking about how people are not the enemy, they are the opportunity, uh, especially those who may oppose us and disagree with us. And I think you would agree that it's getting really bad today. You have so many people that are arguing with each other, fighting and battling with each other. And it's like, if the world, the flesh and the devil weren't enough, we got other people joining in. I mean, uh, so I want to talk about that today. And that's going to be in our text, which will be 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So we would really encourage you to join with us. For today, as I mentioned Thursday night at our midweek Bible study, we're going to look at the prophetic significance of this UAE-Israel peace agreement on Thursday. But in order to do that, I think it's incumbent upon me to share with you my heart, from my heart to yours, <laughs> what the Lord has put on my heart before we start so that uh, you'll have a better understanding. Back in March, when this crisis first hit, I sensed that the Lord would have me to revisit everything through the lens of COVID-19. If you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, you didn't see this coming. I know I didn't. And as such, everything had to be on the table. Nothing could be taken off the table. Everything that we knew to be true, especially concerning Bible prophecy, keep it on the table. We've got to revisit this. And here's why. Everything changed seemingly overnight. And this, on a global scale, the likes of which we had never seen before, and likely will never see again. In late April, early May, it became evident that the world, as we once knew it, had passed the proverbial point of no return as it were. In fact, we devoted an update to that very uh, topic, past the point of no return. It's for this reason that the focus of our weekly prophecy updates shifted from the Middle East geopolitically to this crisis almost exclusively. And in so doing, I learned so much from so many of you, particularly those in the medical field online that sent me a lot of information. 
And I took that information, I did my best to sort of connect the prophetic dots of what we were seeing happen with what we know the Bible says will happen. And for those who have been with us since March, (laughs) it's been quite eye-opening and hair-raising. Well, maybe for you, not so much for me anymore, but certainly (laughs) eye-opening as the real agenda behind this, and you'll forgive me, manufactured crisis was uncovered. What this is really about, what's really going on, where it's all headed. Here we are, almost six months later, in the middle of August, And each passing day brings with it new information and even new revelation. However, to me, there was still a missing piece to the prophecy puzzle that still needed to be put in place, which was that of Israel. How does that all tie in? And so the question I had been asking since this all started was, how does this global crisis fit with the centrality of Israel prophetically? Enter the aforementioned peace agreement starting with this White House release issued on Thursday that, quote, President Donald J. Trump has secured a historic deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates to advance peace and prosperity in the region. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of quotes. from this release, quoting, President Trump recognized it was time for a new approach to achieve peace, security, and opportunity for the people of the Middle East. This historic breakthrough was made possible by President Trump's leadership and expertise as a deal maker. Here's another excerpt, quoting, this agreement will help put the region on a truly interesting word, transformative path, one with stability, security, and opportunity. This agreement will allow further advancement of the president's vision for finding a comprehensive, fair, realistic, and lasting peace between, listen, Israel and the Palestinians and in the region. Also on Thursday, the White House released this joint statement 
of the United States, the state of Israel, and the United Arab Emirates. Two quotes, listen, quoting. The United Arab Emirates and Israel will immediately expand and accelerate, interesting word, cooperation regarding the treatment of and the development of a vaccine for the coronavirus. Working together, these efforts will help save Muslim, Jewish, and Christian lives throughout the region. The joint statement goes on to say, and again I quote, and this is very important, as set forth in the vision for peace, all Muslims who come in peace may visit and pray at the Al-Aqsa Mosque and Jerusalem's other holy sites should remain open for peaceful worshipers of all faiths." Close quote. Pictured here is a screenshot of the president's formal announcement in which he stated, and again I quote, it will be known as the Abraham Accord. And I'd like to ask our ambassador, David Friedman, to please explain why we're doing and calling it the Abraham Accord. David? So Friedman says, and I quote, thank you, Mr. President, and congratulations to you on brokering this historic peace agreement. Abraham, as many of you know, was the father of all three great faiths. He's referred to as Abraham in the Christian faith, Ibrahim in the Muslim faith, and Abraham in the Jewish faith. And no person better symbolizes the potential for unity among all these three great faiths than Abraham. And that's why this accord has been given that name." Close quote. Now, Trump responds by saying, and again I quote, it's a great, great thing. I wanted it to be called the Donald J. Trump Accord, but I didn't think the press would understand that. Sorry, I didn't do that. Also on Thursday, there was a separate briefing by Jared Kushner, who stated, and again I quote, President Trump was able to get Israel to agree to have a two-state solution with the Palestinians. And for the first time in history, to agree to a map that outlined the territory that they would be willing to work with in order to see that happen. That showed a lot of people in the region, this is interesting, that Israel was serious. Israel was serious? 
Israel was serious about really moving forward and making peace and also showed them that President Trump's leadership and diplomacy could make things happen that hadn't happened previously. What happened is that as Israel was discussing with us taking Israeli law and keyword sovereignty to areas of the West Bank and applying it, and we were having these discussions over the last six weeks. The discussions between UAE and Israel started accelerating about this being a potential different path." Close quote. Okay. Let me catch my breath and say, contrary to what many might say, this is really bad. This is not a good deal. In fact, I would venture to say that this is of the devil. I know that's strong, but if you'll kindly indulge me as I sort through this, I'll do my best to communicate why and also the prophetic significance of this. You'll forgive the bluntness with which I say this, but this is quite literally, even exactly, precisely how it ends according to Bible prophecy. So what follows is a plausible scenario of what could happen, and not only what could happen, but how quickly it could happen. I'm using that word for a reason, because as many of you know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. And the word in the original language of the Greek New Testament is tacos, not tacos, or taco poke. It's tacos, where we get our English word for tachometer, a measurement, a gauge of revolutions per minute. RPMs. What Jesus was saying was, behold, I'm coming at a time when things are revved up. I would submit that we are redlining. We are there. And so what I want to do, I have seven. It's not exhaustive. <laughs> I like the number seven, the number of completion. There are more, but I have seven in this plausible scenario, and it's based on key prophecies that are found in Scripture. So here's the first one. The next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. It can happen at any time. For those of you who were not with us last week or did not watch the YouTube video, we devoted the entire update to why it is that seven reasons really that prove that the rapture of the church has to happen before the seven year tribulation. 
Now, I'm using 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 for a reason. And actually, verse 4 is going to come up again here shortly. One of the main reasons I'm using this verse is because of the interpretation of verse 3, as we talked about on June 14th, and how unfortunately we have translated this as an apostasy or a falling away that has to come first. And on June 14th, we were in 2 Thessalonians in our verse-by-verse study through that epistle. And when we got to verse 3, we devoted the entire teaching to just that verse, and why it is that the Apostle Paul in verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians 2 is speaking of not the falling away of the church, but the catching away of the church. Let me read verses 3 and 4. Paul writing by the Holy Spirit says, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, speaking of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, that day will not come unless the departure, rapture, comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. In other words, the Antichrist cannot be revealed for who he is until the church is removed. Now listen to verse 4, and again, this is going to come up uh, shortly. He, speaking of the Antichrist, who has now been revealed, this man of sin, the church has been removed, the Antichrist has been revealed, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Wow. This means that early on, potentially at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, part of this deal, this peace agreement that we're going to talk about, will include the rebuilding of the third temple. Because when the Antichrist does this, it presupposes that the temple is there and has been rebuilt. I've heard from reliable sources that once Israel has the green light to rebuild the temple, they can do it within a matter of maybe 90 days. Let that sink in. 90 days. They have everything. They have all the materials. They've had them for a long time. (laughs) Because of computer technology and DNA, they even know who the Levites are to serve in the temple. Ashes of the red heifer, check. All of the instruments for the priests, the high priest, check. What about the Ark of the Covenant? Oh, very interesting. Check. It's all there. All they're waiting for is the green light. And truly, they believe it's just a matter of time. It's going to happen, I believe, suddenly, quickly. 
which is the second in this scenario. And again, please understand that all of this could happen not only suddenly or quickly, but possibly even simultaneously. And by that I mean the rapture of the church could happen simultaneously with the sudden destruction that is described here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. <laughs> in other words, when we go up, sudden destruction comes down. And as Paul says, it's on them, not we, which is why I want to be a we, <laughs> not a them. Because we who are alive and remain will be caught up. We're the we. We're not the they or the them. Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, while people are saying peace and safety, peace and security, it's the same word in the original Greek language of the New Testament, asphalia, translated security or safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly. Sudden destruction. Here's the thing about sudden destruction. I'm not trying to be cute. It's very sudden, the destruction. As labor pains come suddenly on a woman travailing in labor. And listen to what he says after he says that. He likens it to a woman in labor, labor pains coming in greater intensity and frequency and suddenly. And then he says, and they will not escape. Now, why do I emphasize that? Because what's the need to include that detail in this verse? I would suggest that it implies that there will be those who will escape. So they will not escape. Oh, Paul, who does escape? We escape. This is why oftentimes you'll hear the rapture referred to as the great escape. In fact, you've probably heard it in a negative context from somebody who's antagonistic. And they'll say, oh, you pre-tribbers, you just want to escape. To which I say, yeah, <laughs> I do. Don't you? It's this escape where we are taken out and we escape. We are rescued. We are raptured, but they will not be, and they will not be raptured. They will not escape. They will not be uh, rescued. Number three, this is Ezekiel 38, this allied invasion, this alliance of nations that will invade Israel. Uh, let me just quickly read verses 1 through 6 and verse 13, because verse 13 is key to what we just saw this last week. 
The word of the Lord came to me, verse 1, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armed, and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Verse 5. Here's the list of the nations that will ally together in this invasion of Israel by their ancient names, Persia, Iran, Cush, and Put, the area we know today as Ethiopia and Africa and the Sudan will be with them. All with shields and helmets, also Gamar, with all its troops, and Beit Tugarma, Beit is house in Arabic and in Hebrew, Tugarma, believed to be the region we know today as modern-day Turkey, from the far north, with all its troops, the many nations with you. Now I want to draw your attention to verse 13, because it's germane to our understanding of the significance of this UAE Israel agreement. We're told Sheba and Dedan. Now if you look at a map, and I encourage you to do this by the way, uh, Google a map of the United Arab Emirates, Oman, and Saudi Arabia. They're all neighbors basically. And they're all in that area that is ancient Sheba and Dedan, Saudi Arabia being chief amongst them. And what's really interesting is, by the way, I was listening to a, uh, an interview with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu this morning, and he all but said Saudi Arabia is about ready to sign, so is Oman, and all of this area now, because UAE has essentially blazed the trail, paved the way, if you prefer. And so now it's just a matter of time before Saudi Arabia, who already has a very chummy relationship with Israel, if I can say it like that. And it's just a matter of time before they formalize it. So the prophet Ezekiel is telling us that Saudi Arabia, that area there in the Gulf, those Gulf states, and the merchants of Tarshish, there's a lot of speculation about who Tarshish is, and all her villages will say to you, have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your hordes to loot, to carry off silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, and to seize much plunder? In other words, Saudi Arabia and Tarshish and the young nations or lions, as some of your translations render it, merely protest this alliance of nations with Russia, Iran, and Turkey at the helm. 
when they invade Israel to, for the purpose of taking this spoil, what Israel has. That's the purpose of the invasion. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert for those of you that want to read chapter 38 and chapter 39 with it. It doesn't work out too well. <laughs> Let me just say it like that. Uh, in fact, they are dealt by the hand of God, by God Himself. In fact, God in Ezekiel 38 through the prophet says, I'm going to do it in such a way so they will know that I am the Lord, their God. He's going to do it. He has to do it. Can you? I mean, there's no way. Here's, here's Israel right here. Here's Russia. Iran, Turkey, Etal, and they all come against Israel. It is believed by some, present company included, that this decimating and devastating defeat, it's really an annihilation of these invading armies and these allied nations that God Himself delivers, it will take place within the span of about 24 hours. Let that sink in when this happens. So why is this agreement so significant prophetically? Simply put, it's because this is exactly what the prophet Ezekiel said would happen some 2,500 plus years ago. That there would be this invasion that somehow, some way, these Gulf nations, these Arab nations, will not only not be involved in this invasion, they will actually protest this invasion, which suggests that they will have had some sort of a peace agreement with Israel. Voila! Voila! Also interesting to note, maybe as a side note, conspicuously absent from the nations that are listed in this Ezekiel 38 prophecy are Jordan, Egypt. Why? Oh, they have a peace agreement with Israel. Also, Syria is not mentioned. Why? I truly believe it's because of the prophecy in Isaiah 17.1, which is a prophecy very specific about Damascus becoming a ruinous heap, so much so that it is uninhabitable. It will be the sudden destruction of Damascus, Syria. And that's when they're going to come vis-a-vis Syria, where they're already at, by the way, at the ready, and have been. And then they will invade Israel exactly as we were told they would. This agreement, I believe, has, I'm going to use this phrase for lack of a better one, and I don't mean to be cute and clever again, but it's put on warp speed. This prophecy here in Ezekiel 38, and I also believe so too, has it now gone to warp speed for the very detailed prophecy in Daniel 9.27, which I would like to spend a little bit of time on. This is the prophecy 
about the seven-year peace agreement. And also, I believe, as I mentioned, that it will include the rebuilding of the third temple. And also, by the way, and we talked about this last week, the rapture of the church does not begin the seven-year tribulation. What begins the seven-year tribulation is the seven-year peace covenant here in Daniel 9.27. So let's roll, roll up our arm sleeves and let's kind of work through this very detailed prophecy. And I want to point out a couple of things here. He, speaking of the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant. Now again, this word confirm, very interesting word in the original language of the Hebrew and my native tongue of Arabic is the same word as many of the Arabic and Hebrew words are. It's the word hekbir. It's kind of like akbar, hekbir. Akbar is greater. Hekbir is superior, spectacular, better, if you will, if you prefer. So this prophecy is saying that the Antichrist will make greater superior. You know, by the way, parenthetically, I, I probably need to mention this because whenever you hear Muslims say Allah or Akbar, they're not saying God is great. And please, 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 Allah is not the title God synonymous with God. Allah is the name of their false God. Islam is a false religion, and Muhammad a false prophet, and Allah a false God. When they say in Arabic, Allahu Akbar, they're saying not God is great or Allah is great. They're saying Allah is greater. Changes the whole complexion of it, doesn't it? I'm going to come back to this because it's, again, uh, germane to our understanding of this. Greater than who? In other words, to be greater, that means that there had to be great first to make it greater. You see where I'm going? That's what this word means. There's something in place that just needs to be tweaked, made better, greater, superior than it was. And that's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to make greater, superior, spectacular this covenant with many. That's another key word. <laughs> Not just Israel, but many nations with Israel. For one seven, a period of seven. This is the 70th week of Daniel, a.k.a. the time of Jacob's trouble which by the way, again, and we'll talk about this in a moment, um, the, the seven-year tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. Are you Jacob? I mean, not are you named Jacob. If you're named Jacob, we love you. It's not your trouble. It's not your problem. I'm talking about Jacob, Yahob, a.k.a. Israel. Jacob is Israel. It's the time of Israel's trouble. 
and tribulation, not the church. That's what the seven-year tribulation is. It's the 70th week of Daniel. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the seven-year tribulation. And the confirming made greater superior of this agreement will commence the seven-year tribulation. So much detail, and we're not even halfway through the verse. You ready for more? In the middle of the seven, three and a half years, 1260 days, very specific, right? Well, what's going to happen in the middle at the three and a half year mark? Oh, so glad you asked, because we we have the answer. The Antichrist will put an end to sacrifice and offering and at the temple, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, think this through with me. You have this peace agreement, starts the seven-year tribulation. Jews rebuild their temple. The Antichrist is hailed as the Savior. No one has ever been able to do this before in human history, and He did it. And oh, by the way, Israel today, because they rejected their true Messiah, they will embrace the anti-Messiah. And by the way, anti does not mean against necessarily only. It also means in place of. They're going to embrace this false Messiah. And there, I have videos from 1980, where Jewish rabbis are singing songs, we want our Messiah now. We want our Messiah now. You go to Israel today, they will tell you the Messiah is about to appear. That's not Jesus, the true Messiah. At the three and a half year mark, that's when they're going to realize, wait a minute, this is not our Messiah. Because if He were truly our Messiah, He would not commit this abomination. If He were truly our Messiah, He would not do this. And it's going to cause desolation. And the desolation will cause the Jews to flee to the place that is prepared for them. We have a a, a prophecy in the book of Revelation about this. For the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, where God Himself protects them from the Antichrist, who's seeking to destroy them, turn on them, That place, I believe, is in modern-day Jordan, a place called Petra, which is an interesting place. I actually was able to go. My cousin took my wife and I there. uh, And boy, if you ever, well, it's probably too late now, but um, what an amazing place. Uh, We we were only there for one day, and you, you don't even, you need like a week. It's such a vast rock city, literally carved out of rock. It is an impenetrable fortress with one very narrow entrance to this city. And that's where the Jews are going to flee from Jerusalem. Matthew 24, Jesus talks about it. Pray that your flight when you flee is not on the Sabbath, when transportation during Shabbat is all shut down. Pray that you're not pregnant. That's going to make it more difficult. Pray that it's not in the winter. That's going to make it really difficult. Pray that it's not on the Sabbath, in the winter, and you're pregnant. That's 
horrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but you get the point, right? Sure hope so. They're going to flee from Israel, from Jerusalem to Petra for the last three and a half years. In fact, there was a Bible scholar uh, with the Lord. Now, this is back in the 1800s that was so convinced that Petra was the place that Revelation was talking about, that God would protect the Jewish people for the last three and a half years of the seven year tribulation. He took scriptures about Jesus, the true Messiah. He put them in earthen vessels and hid them all around the rock city. How cool is that? When we were there, we were looking for him. Couldn't find any. But uh, (laughs) so this is what's going to happen at the midpoint of this seven year agreement. He's going to turn on Israel. He's going to be shown for who he really is. He is not the Christ. He is the Antichrist. He's going to commit this abomination that causes desolation. Now, again, when you talk about the timeline, this is very specific. We know that this happens at the midpoint. Now, Ezekiel 38, we don't know. There is much debate. It's all speculative. I am personally of the belief, not dogmatic about it, that it will happen at the very beginning of the seven year tribulation, which is going to actually bring in this peace agreement. Because after that decimation and devastation and annihilation, oh my goodness, (laughs) we need to have peace now. There's one more very interesting and detailed prophecy in Revelation chapter 11, verse 2, in this regard, where John writes, but leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it. Why? Because it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, three and a half years, 1,260 days. When I read that joint statement, and even the White House release, there was that interesting detail where the President of the United States said that this area, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, there on the Temple Mount, should be a place where people of all faiths can come and pray. I believe that is a fulfillment of Revelation 11:2, the outer courts. For those of you that have been to Israel and were able to get on the Temple Mount, uh, you don't always get to go on the Temple Mount. Uh, but uh, the last time, oh, it was 2015, I think, was the last time I was on the Temple Mount. But it is just breathtaking because you're standing there where you know the Temple's going to be. And you look over here to the outer courts where the Gentiles for three and a half years are going to tread underfoot. And all of these other faiths, are going to come to this place, exactly as we're told in Revelation 11 too. It's right there. Exactly as we're told it would be. Don't measure that part. And here's why. Very interesting that he would reference this particular spot with such specificity concerning the Al-Aqsa Mosque, because again, it's exactly what we were told would happen. 
on the outer courts of outside the temple. Number four, we need to keep moving here. This is the, well, it's the dividing of Jerusalem. It's the two-state solution. It's cutting Jerusalem in two and giving the Palestinians so-called and the Jews the city and a capital in the city. This is the two-state solution, which I have talked about many times before, but I am absolutely convinced that the two-state solution is Hitler's final solution repackaged. Because they don't want peace with Israel, a state alongside Israel. They want the destruction of Israel. And they've made it clear in no uncertain terms. And this prophecy in Zechariah 12 verses 1 through 3, again, very specific about what God is going to do concerning those who want to cut into Jerusalem. Listen, the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, a prophecy concerning Israel, as some of your translations render it. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone, burdensome stone, boundary stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away, give it away, cut it away, will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. In other words, you're going to cut up Jerusalem? That's my city. It's the city that I put my name of ownership on, literally, by the way, as we've talked about in previous updates. The name of God is literally upon the city of Jerusalem. It's such a fascinating uh, detail. <laughs> so you're going to cut up my city? I'm going to cut you up. How about that? That's what he's saying. You want to divide my land? I'm going to divide you. Joel chapter 3 verse 2, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. Back when the deal of the century was unveiled, we did a, an update. I want to say it was the 1st of February. It was unveiled in the, uh, at the end of January. And I went against what many were saying that, hey, this is good. This is good. And when I read through that, 
agreement, 181 pages. <laughs> I actually had some help, needed help, especially with all the data and numbers and nickels and noses and facts and figures. But I came to, I want to say it was section 12, article 38, it might be the other way around. And it was a section on end of claims, end of conflict. And when you read it very carefully and closely, what you'll find is that both the so-called Palestinians and Israel are to end all claims on Jerusalem in order to end the conflict. Excuse me? Uh, <laughs> listen, I, I grew up being told by my Egyptian father and Jordanian mother that we were Palestinians, that my mom's side of the family were Palestinians. And it wasn't until after I got saved and really began to uh, study and, and know God's Word and the Word of God and the God of the Word, I began to realize, well, wait a minute, no. The reason why they even use the name Palestine or Palestinian, which is a transliteration of Philistine, there are no more Philistines. They're extinct. So I'm like, well, who am I then? <laughs> Where are my people? <laughs> when Jerusalem was destroyed and Israel was uh, captured, they named it, as was the custom in that day, after the arch enemy of the people that they had just conquered. And who was the people group that were the enemy of Israel? The Philistines. So they first named it Philistia. Well, actually they named it Ariella Capitalina. And then they eventually named it Philistia, which is translated or transliterated really, Palestine. I want to say it was 135 AD, if my memory serves me correctly. And ever since then, it's been known as Palestine for that reason. That's what Rome changed the name to. Not because the Palestinian, you know, Yasser Arafat, he was Egyptian, I'm not Palestinian. I, there's no such thing as a Palestinian. And the only reason I mention it is because if there's no such thing as a Palestinian or a Palestine, then that means there's no such thing as a Palestinian state. So what are we doing here? What's this really about? Well, it's exactly about what we're told it would be about. This is what they're going to do. Now, some of you are looking at me. I can tell. <laughs> and you're saying, Pastor, do you realize the implications of what you're saying here? Especially concerning the President of the United States? Yeah. That's not the question. The question isn't, do I realize the implications of this? The question is, do you? I don't mean to come off smug. God knows my heart. I am simply teaching the Bible simply. And this is what the Bible says. And this is not good. And I am keenly aware that there are those who are saying, no, this is a good deal for Israel. We want peace. Well, just a mo moment, please. Uh, it has come at the expense of sovereignty 
and the annexation of the West Bank. Oh, no, it's just off the table for now. Oh, really? That's what you think. Well, I probably shouldn't have gone that far, but too late. I already did. We need to move on. Number five, we still got a ways to go. Hope you brought your pajama and toothbrushes. Number five, the mark of the beast. Again, we don't know exactly. It is believed that this will probably happen about the midpoint when the Antichrist demands to be worshipped. He sets himself up in the temple as God, demanding to be worshipped as God. And those who refuse to worship the, the beast and the image of the beast, whose number is 666, which is what Revelation 13 says, they will be, as we've talked about, beheaded. Uh, by the way, that's the July 12th update. And that's where COVID-19 and said vaccine comes into play. We did a whole update on this on July 12th. If you're interested, you can go back and watch that video. But I am of the belief that the mark of the beast will become, not yet, will become whatever this vaccine is going to be. Because the vaccine is going to be the digital ID without which no one will be able to get their lives back or their livelihood back. And again, we did a whole update on that based on the information that is coming out about that on July 12th. I won't take the time to go into it today, but already we're seeing it. And I do find it very interesting that this peace agreement would include, and even Netanyahu in the interview that I mentioned this morning, brought up and actually talked about for uh, some time the whole vaccine that now the UAE, because of normalized relations with Israel, can have access to. This vaccine is the, can I say, golden ticket? This, they're dangling it and saying that unless you have it, you can't have your life back. That's where it's going. I, I hope, yeah, it probably goes without saying, and I don't want to take too much more time, but uh, I hope you realize that life as we knew it is never going to be the same. You know, on March 29th, I did, uh, it was actually titled the coronavirus update. It was the first update concerning the coronavirus. And I made this comment. I said, I believe this ends in the rapture for us. And it ends in the seven-year tribulation, mark of the beast, all of the above for them. This is how this ends. This is, is, and at the time I thought, it's kind of a bold statement. Maybe I should have just walked into it, not run into it. The story of my life, (laughs) where after you say something, you think, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have been that bold. But now looking back in retrospect, it's exactly what's happening. It's exactly what's happening. Number six, real quick, the Battle of Armageddon. This is in Revelation 16. This is actually the sixth angel pouring out the bowl judgment. And 
all of the kings of the earth and the armies of the world are going to be brought and gathered to this place in Israel called Armageddon, Har Megiddo, in the valley of Jezreel. Again, for those that have been with us to Israel, you've seen this as far as the eye can see, (laughs) this valley where all of these armies of the world, it's really the last battle, and it brings in the second coming of Jesus Christ. I put the Gog and Magog at the beginning, maybe right before, simultaneously with the rapture possibly, and then I put the battle of Armageddon at the end of the seven-year tribulation, which brings us to our seventh one in this scenario, and it's the second coming and the salvation of Israel. Let me just real quickly read Romans 11 verses 25 through 27. Paul writing says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. That's very important, by the way. In other words, once the church is removed, God shifts all of His attention to the Jewish people, because the purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. That's the purpose of the tribulation. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, Israel. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Uh, Let me just add to that real quick, and then we'll bring it in for a landing. Uh, God is not through with a Jew. That's an Arab telling you that too. (laughs) Why is God not through with a Jew? Because God has a covenant with the Jew. Here's the thing. God has a covenant with me and you too. And if God is through with the Jew, then how secure are you? Because He has a covenant with the Jew. And last time I checked, uh, it's an everlasting covenant. You know what everlasting means? I know this is deeply profound. Everlasting. Lasts forever. God is not through with the Jew. God has a covenant with the Jew. He has a covenant with me and you too. I know it's not proper English, but it rhymes. (laughs) Let me have it. So He has a covenant with them. He's not going to break the covenant. He can't. He actually is incapable. God is incapable of breaking a covenant. Which is why, by the way, when he cut covenant with Abraham, and by the way, that's where we get the word cut a deal. This is how they would make an agreement, a covenant, back in those, those days. They would take animals and they would cut them. And the blood would be all over with the carcasses. And they would both walk through the blood and the... I know this is really... Sorry if you haven't eaten yet or don't want to eat now. But they would walk through the blood and the animals. And they would vow and agree that if I break this covenant, what's done to these animals will be done to me. It's called the deterrent, by the way. 
So here, God is going to make this covenant with Abraham. Abraham didn't make a covenant with, with God. Abraham never signed it. What do you mean? Oh, so God comes down to cut covenant, and He puts Abraham into a deep sleep. And God comes down and cuts covenant with Abraham. In other words, you can't break a covenant you didn't sign. Abraham didn't sign it. This is why people get into a lot of trouble. And I, again, don't want to spend too much time on it, but I think you get the point. They say, well, you know, they broke the covenant. They never signed it. Israel messed up. They blew it. God is through with them. He's replaced the church. He's replaced Israel with the church as his covenant people. Don't do that. Because if you replace Israel with the church, that means you put the church in the seven-year tribulation. And by the way, that's why they, they put the church in the seven-year tribulations, because they replaced the church, Israel, with the church. Easy for me to say. I can't say that again, so I hope you got it. Doesn't that make sense, though? This is why I get videos sent. Listen, I appreciate it. So many online members send me videos from people who say we're already in the seven-year tribulation. We are not in the seven-year tribulation. <laughs> not even the first part of it. Not the first three and a half years or whatever, pre-wrath. The pre-wrath is the, man, it's the worst. So just antagonistic towards the pre-trib rapture, which, by the way, to me, authenticates and validates the pre-tribulation rapture. You know, you'll never see a counterfeit $70 bill. Why? Because there's no such thing as a genuine $70 bill. The genuine is the $100 bill. So the counterfeit, the false, authenticates and validates the genuine. The pre-tribulation rapture is the genuine, sound, biblical truth then you have all these others that actually validate it, that are the counterfeits. And that's another topic for another time. I, I do, if the Lord, uh, you know, uh, leads me in this direction, I do want to talk about one of these times about the why behind the what of the attacks against the pre-tribulation rapture. There's a, there's a reason behind it. So anyway, but the whole house of Israel, they will call upon the one whom they pierced, and they will call for him to come back. And we, as his bride, will be by his side at the second coming when he does. I am personally of the belief that all of this is about to happen. And when it does, it will complete the last seven years of human history as we know it, and we're right there. It can happen at any time. It's all set up. It's just a matter of, of time. It's, it's not if it happens, it's when and how soon. And I truly believe it is soon and very soon it has to be. Can I just say one last thing? <laughs> Have I said one last thing yet? I don't know. If I did, this will be the last, last thing. Bible prophecy has an expiration date, a shelf life. Example, the nations in Ezekiel 38 
are all lined up right now. Rewind five years ago, they weren't. Fast forward five years from now, will, will they still be? Just talk about COVID-19 and the vaccine. There's this momentum, everything is heading in that direction. So there has to be that proverbial strike while the iron is hot. There's a, there's a lifespan, an expiration date, a shelf life on all of this. And it's already in motion and already has momentum. And now it's just a matter of time. Well, I want to end with the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, and a childlike explanation of salvation, especially for the benefit of anybody that might be watching online. And what I've shared today has really, hopefully, gotten your attention. And that's no accident. I think you know this. It's no accident that you're watching this video. God led you here because today is the day of salvation. I want to explain what it means to be saved and how to be saved. The gospel or the good news is that Jesus was crucified, He was buried, and He rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again one day. That's what the word gospel means, good news. Your debt has been paid, the death penalty has been paid by Jesus Christ, who died for you instead of you. You're free to go. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. That's the gospel. Now, how do you respond? Well, that's where the ABCs come in. Very simple, very childlike simple. The A is for admit or acknowledge that you sinned, that you're a sinner and that you need the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of the perfect standard of God's righteousness. We've all transgressed the law. And Romans 6.23 pronounces the sentence. We enter the sentencing phase. We enter a guilty plea, guilty as charged. And the judge of the universe sentences you to death. It's the death penalty. The wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But then here's the good news. In walks a man to that courtroom of the universe and says to that judge, wait. I will go to my death in his stead, in her stead. And the judge looks at you, turns to you and says, uh, good news, your debt's been paid, you're free to go. And then he goes to your death in your stead. And then he purchases for us instead of us the price and then He offers it as a gift. That's what a gift is, right? Somebody purchased it, and then they give it to you as a gift. If you buy it or pay for it, it's not a gift, it's a purchase. If it's a gift, somebody else paid for it, and they give it to you. Well, that's what Jesus did. He paid in full for all of our sins, and He offers us this gift of God, which is eternal life, 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the good news. The B is for believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And then the C lastly is for call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, confess with your mouth. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And then lastly, Romans 10, 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That simple. Why don't you stand? We'll pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for Bible prophecy, for telling us in some places with great detail, what's going to happen before it happens, so that when we start seeing it happen, <laughs> believers will look up and lift up their heads, knowing their redemption draws nigh. And those who don't believe will put their trust in you. Lord, I pray for anyone who might even be here in this church service, or watching online, that has never called upon you, confessing with their mouth, believing in their heart, acknowledging their sin, putting their trust in you for the forgiveness of sin, that they would not put it off any longer, that they would not delay the most important decision of their life for eternal life. Lord, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.